Blog Talk Radio. Throw money at everything. 
because they ain't going to bring things back. When some people done gone, they call the coolie boat, and they can't bring them back with money. You don't care what you do. You understand? So let me crack with tea to leave it for Hunter to get on standing. So to ensure that Hunter understands, stand, let me change this way so that all of my listeners internationally here within the Gullah Geechee Nation and elsewhere will be able to truly under and overstand all of the words that are coming out my mouth tonight. Because when we talk about a topic such as genocide and gentrification in the Gullah Geechee Nation, it is critical that you grasp the complex nature of what we're talking about, the insidious nature of what we're talking about. We still have people of African descent, some of them who were born here on Gullah Geechee soil, that are participants, willing participants in the genocide of their own people. And I say they're willing participants because they are doing everything they can to try to undermine their own people for them to get position or to get a couple dollars, even during Black History Month, to make 50 or $100, they would rather try to undermine the leadership of their own nation to try to then kowtow and go along with processes that are in place that would no doubt, no doubt, further remove and disenfranchise Gullah Geechee people from the coast. Now, I give some credit that they're fully aware of what they're doing, and then there are those who it's truly unbeknownst to them because they are looking at the Western society's perspective of what is important, which is to make $2 and then spend it back in somebody else's place. And they're thinking that if they get a title or they get that $2, that that's all that matters because they're living in the moment and they're thinking individually instead of thinking communally. So as a result... They are participating in these acts without recognizing what truly these acts are. So, like they say, if you are not a part of the solution, you are a part of the problem. And one of the things that was such a blessing to me on yesterday evening was arriving back on Historic St. Helena Island to go to a volunteer appreciation for our Heritage Days volunteers. And I'm chairing the Heritage Days celebration again this year. And someone came over to me with what essentially would have been a complaint about something and something that they didn't like the way it was done. And I immediately said, well, oh, that's not a problem because this can be rectified by this. And that was just naturally what I do. And someone else immediately said, see, she is solution-oriented. She's a solution finder. And then she walked away. And I said, you're right. And I never really thought of myself in that manner, but once she said it, It brought it clearly to me. That has always been my focus. Why are you sitting there complaining or talking about a thing? What are you going to do about it? So in other words, give me a solution. Don't give me a problem. And if all you can do is complain, you are the problem. So here tonight, I know we could have a 100 phone calls from people because they saw the term gentrification in the title of the show, and they want to just, you know, complain about how communities have been gentrified. They called it urban renewal at one point, which we then called Negro removal and so forth. I know there are plenty communities across the United States where people of African descent used to be the dominant group in that community, such as Harlem, for example, that I was now told has less than 50% of people of African descent staying there in Harlem, or black folks in Harlem. Yes, the Mecca, the Harlem Renaissance that you all read about, that some people lived through. Yes, that space, that place. So now, those are areas within boroughs. But tonight, we want to look at this dynamic of gentrification and how it connects the genocide of the Gullah Geechee people and black people in the South in this area from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. I want to talk about some of our story from black township perspectives as it interlinks to genocide. Now, many people who have heard the term genocide 
only think of it in the context of how some American dictionaries define it as the deliberate killing of a large group of people, especially those of a particular ethnic group or nation. So hence, most times when you hear the term genocide used in the United States, they always want to refer you back to Africa and show you a bunch of people getting killed there and generally try to show you black people killing other black people and say, okay, well, this is genocide because they're trying to kill off the other group because they're not the same ethnic group as them. So ethnic cleansing as genocide. And many of us have seen several films even about like Hotel Rwanda is a very good example of that where you could replace the Hootsies and the Tutus and replaced with the Gullah and the Geechee. And people have tried to play psychological games even now to try to get people to separate themselves in Georgia from the Gullah Geechee Nation, separate themselves in mainland areas from the Gullah Geechee Nation to say, well, no, I'm just a Geechee or I'm a saltwater Geechee or I'm some other kind of something, as opposed to your Gullah Geechee, period, and your Gullah Geechee with the two words connected to each other, and you're part of the Gullah Geechee Nation, which is one place and one people. Now, this is an initial process of how genocide gets. If someone can control you psychologically, then that's all they need to do. Many of you who've been listening throughout this Black History Month celebration, you know that I always pay homage to Dr. Carter G. Woodson, and you have heard me give some of his quotes on some of these same, in regard to some of these same issues, I would say, uh, on the previous broadcast. And if you hadn't listened to the previous broadcast, please go back in our archive here at blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee, and that's G-U-L-L-A-H. G-E-E-C-H-E-E, no I in Geechee, Gullah Geechee, and listen to last week's broadcast that I focused on Dr. Carter G. Woodson and many of his quotes. And we had some technical glitches, so many of you who were trying to listen live had some problems being able to hear the whole show until you went back to the archive to hear it. But I want to quote again tonight in honor of Black History Month from Carter G. Woodson. In fact, the confidence of the people is worth more than money. In fact, the confidence of the people is worth more than money. Okay? Now, I also want you to know that he stated, those who have no record of what their forebears have accomplished lose the inspiration which comes from the teaching of biography and history. Now, I talk about the confidence of the people being worth more than money because I've already spoken about all these people who are now money-driven in the Gullah Geechee Nation who only seek to exploit what Gullah Geechee is because they now feel it's popular and there's a market for it. I go to talking about our forebearers and losing record of what the forebearers did because when we talk about the gentrification, the genocide, the destructionment of Gullah Geechee people, we also deal the destruction of our land and our institutions, those institutions being human institutions as well as physical building institutions. When those are destroyed, you have no record of what those who came before you did, so you have nothing then to necessarily inspire you on. You may believe that struggle is all you had, never victory. And that if you continue to think struggle, you will have it, okay? And so I had a man once say to me, he'd been down so long, he didn't know what up is. I quickly moved away from him because I truly had never been down that far and had no intention to go there and didn't want whatever he had to rub off on me. So now the thing is, is if we are going to continue to record what the past had done and be inspired by it, we should be inspired to be recording more for our future. That means we have to continue to be here to have a future. So let's go past the U.S. and their limited use of English with the definition of genocide. Most of you know that I represent the Gullah Geechees at the United Nations. I'm part of IRAM, the Human Rights Association for American Minorities, and I've been a part of ICHR there as well in their directorates. So one of the things that I focus on is definitions in international law. Now, 
the genocidal definition that is found within the American Dictionary, being as limited as it is, is expanded and expounded upon in international law. In fact, genocide is a crime under international law. And it doesn't matter if it's done during peacetime or wartime. And most times what's depicted to you is it only happens at war. Not true. And that's what's so insidious about it. Because when you are at peace, this is when the psychological things are implanted. That is the beginning of the genocidal act. Well, the convention defined, you have the crime convention on these crimes of genocide back in 1948. And the convention then decided at the United Nations that genocide is an act committed with the idea of destroying in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. Destroying that group in whole or in part. Now, many of you who've listened to me on this broadcast, seen me in person, lecturing, presenting musical presentations, or watching me on Gullah Geechee TV, know that I always emphasize Gullah Geechees under human rights law are linguistic, national, and ethnic minority. So we're talking about an act, an idea of destroying whole or in part a national, ethnic, or racial group. We already are within that because we would be considered a black group of people. Now, the acts involved in this could be killing of members of the group. We've had many Gullah Geechis killed for their land. One prime example area where that took place is Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, in Beaufort County, South Carolina, that many around the world know as a golfing and gated area resort town now. We also have had murders happen in Charleston County, South Carolina, in various areas. In fact, when I started the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition and I started to do more work on the ground in South Carolina, the first people to have panic in their eyes to talk to me and repeatedly say, please be careful, please be careful, because you're speaking out against these people with money and about land, and that's how they killed people. We had a number of people that have been murdered in Charleston County, South Carolina, that were murdered simply because they were lawyers and activists who were educating the people about their land rights and their right to maintain the ownership of their land and that they did not have to just give up their land because someone else told them to do it or threatened them about it. So we have had this continue all the way into the 1980s or 90s was the last time that someone did contact office into the 90s, contacted the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition's office to let us know of threats of bodily harm and injury to families because someone wanted to buy their land and they refused to sell their land. So now they were being threatened with death. And we've had numerous people die under suspicious conditions throughout the generations since we have owned land for someone else, especially when these gated areas started coming in, for someone else who wanted to have this commercial power over this land. So when we talk about the killing of members of the group, we're not talking theoretically in the Gullah Geechee Nation. We are talking literally, okay? Then causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. I have had numerous Gullah Geechees who have shared their personal stories with me of Ku Klux Klan that left them to to die almost because they were in areas where the Klan had access and where they had uh, points where these people could attack them. But guess what? These individuals also let me know that the Klan got to them because other black people set them up to have this done to them. Again, we go back to when people talk about ethnic cleansing, racial cleansing, and depicting it as all the people may look similar to you or have the same skin tone or be in the same race but not of the same ethnic group and then have the others killed off 
or one set of the ethnic group thinks that somehow they are not the same, hence the state boundaries that we have federal folks and others continuing to promote to people that we're not the same people, that Gullah's at one place and Geechee's are in another, when we are one and the same group of people. And if people did not take hold of their own minds and take hold to self-determination, you will find yourself in a very similar situation that has caused genocide before in other parts of the world, that have had others that we are related to by blood as African people murdering one another because the outside came in, wanted what you had, pitted you against each other, and left you there to fight each other unto the death so that they could be the victor with the spoils. So wake up and pay attention. The next part of the key provisions of what they declared could be a part of an act or be one of the acts of genocide is deliberately inflicting conditions calculated to physically destroy the group, the whole group or part of the group. And we are going to talk about that in detail. But the last one that they pointed out is a major act is also forcefully transferring children of the group to another group. Now, when we talk about these boarding schools that still exist in a lot of Native American areas and where there are reservations and they're still removing children from people's homes. When we talk about now CPS and others coming in and taking children but then giving them to others who are not of your culture, not of your ethnic group, and saying, here, you keep them, you raise them, you train them up, that is an act of genocide because, again, you are going to mentally influence and culturally influence these individuals. So now their mindset is not going to be that of any loyalty to their culture, their cultural community. Hence, their culture is unlikely to survive. And we know that this form of indoctrination took place in the Gullah Geechee Nation through missionary schools and many of those early schools then having an impact and influence on what later became the public schools. Hence, many of these people who are now participating and working against nationhood within the Gullah Geechee Nation are individuals who were educated to believe Gullah Geechee had no value in the first place. Now, because they are Western thinkers, they are looking at how could I make money off it, even though they never wanted to have anything to do with it before. So now let's go back to deliberately inflicting conditions calculated to physically destroy the group. The deliberate infliction of removal of people from their land is the part that started to begin to erode Gullah Geechee traditional living patterns, not only the family compounds and the building patterns, but also feeding ourselves from the land. Hence, you have a number of people now with high blood pressure, diabetes, mental health issues, and all these things brought on by what they're ingesting that someone else has packaged and brought into the community, whether that is the prescription or the script that they get when they go to these clinics and these doctors, whether that is the food they're buying from someone's store, where before you ate what God gave you naturally to eat, from the creek yonder and thing like that, and yamfan and thing out the field. So here it is now that when people are sitting in offices, sitting in buildings, calculating how to remove you physically from your land, and then they will make the money off your land when you got to go find someplace else to fend for yourself. That is a condition now inflicted upon you that has hardship ramifications. And then when you are dispersed, and you're an ethnic group like ours that's inextricably tied to the land and the waterways, you have no means by which to continue to function within your culture. So this now causes your culture to eventually erode, fade, die out. Your cultural group will eventually come to naught and not be in existence. No one will be able to continue the process of what that culture represents. So this is the jumping-off point where we want to point out that there have been numerous, numerous places where 
Gullah Geechee culture existed and has been removed where black townships have been, have existed and been removed. And because this is Black History Month, I wanted to touch on several of them, some in the Gullah Geechee Nation and some not far from our boundary lines, so that you would be able to under and overstand some of those townships and be able to talk about it because some of you may drive right through or buy them or go vacationing nearby and never realize that there was any, quote, black history associated with them. Now, many of you are very familiar with the fact that I'm from St. Helena Island in Beaufort County, South Carolina, just like Hilton Head Island is. That is part of the Gullah Geechee Nation. We literally are in the Atlantic Ocean. Myself and many others fought for a very unique zoning district standard to protect us here, which is called a Cultural Protection Overlay District. Cultural Protection Overlay District provides additional standards on top of the zoning district standards. And ours was to protect the omnipresence of an ethnic heritage, which is Gullah, to protect historic structures, settlements, and land use patterns, such as the family compound, and also the archaeological sites that we have here, such as the uh, Indian Hill, that's part of our one of the communities on historic St. Helena Island, and that's because we have a Native American mound here, and we have other such sacred grounds of indigenous ancestors of ours, and also significant cultural features and sites. And, of course, the most significant cultural feature is the fact that St. Helena Island is one of the most populated Gullah Geechee areas within the Gullah Geechee Nation. It still has a contiguous Gullah Geechee community throughout the entire island, and still 90 to 95% of the land is owned by Gullah Geechees, not by the state, not by all these other people, but still owned by Gullah Geechees. Now, St. Helena Island is in what's called the unincorporated area of Beaufort County. We're not a township. We've had people who are unofficial mayors of the island over generations, but we are not a township. Now, interestingly enough, though, within South Carolina, within North Carolina, within Florida, we have several places that are townships here. And some of these townships, or most of them in the Gullah Geechee Nation, actually were started up as resort communities during segregation so that people of African descent had a safe place that they could go to and enjoy themselves. I'm going to start going up a little bit north of St. Helena. Let's go up to North Carolina and work our way down the coastline. I want to start up outside of Wilmington, North Carolina, and I encourage all of you to get geared up for Wilmington on Fire, which is going to be an outstanding documentary that will be released in May. It's being done by Brother Christopher Everett. You all have heard him here on Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. He will also be coming back on the air, God willing, before this month is out. We will have him on a broadcast to talk about the current state of things with the film. And you can also go over to Our Common Ground, and you can hear an excellent uh, broadcast on Blog Talk as well from Our Common Ground OCG with Sister Janice Graham. And you can pull the on-demand episode of the night that she interviewed him about the film as well. Well, outside of Wilmington, sort of you might say a suburb of Wilmington, is a community that was a beachfront community called Seabreeze. I really would call it a marshfront community. They also call it Freeman's Beach, okay? Now, Freeman Beach is over near Snow's Cut, for all of y'all who know Wilmington area that well. Well, from the 1920s to the 1960s, it was the heyday for people of African descent to go on up there if they were in North Carolina or go across there to Seabreeze and hang out. At that time, they had three hotels. They had ten restaurants. They had a whole bunch of resort cottages. They had boats here, a bingo parlor. They even had an amusement park with a Ferris wheel. And so people came there, and they truly could party, bring the family, enjoy themselves. And the black businesses were booming. And so everyone who owned their property there was people of African descent. Now, 
What was interesting about where this settled, and I met some of the people who were original descendants out of the Freeman family, is that from my research, as early as 1788, in the 1700s, it was an Alexander Freeman. This man was a free person. He was not enslaved at that time. And he was a fisherman around Myrtle Grove Sound. And you know there's the Gullah Geechee Fishing Association. And so it's critical to us to look into the fishing aspects. And you all can always go to Gullah Geechee Fishing Association dot net to get to the website or you can go to Facebook and be a fan of the Gullah Geechee Fishing Association and we will be having the Gullah Geechee Seafood Festival again this year. We have it every other year. It will be back here at Hunting Island again this year in October. And so here it is when we talk about Alexander Freeman being a fisherman back in 1788 around Myrtle Grove Sound. Then it was hit a hundred, almost a hundred years later, that Robert Bruce Freeman Sr., who was one of his descendants, bought 2,500 acres at the end of New Hanover County and that Wilmington, North Carolina area. At that time, it only cost a dollar an acre. Many of our properties that we still have in the Gullah Geechee Nation, if you look at your original heirs' property deed, the original deed to that land from the 1800s, the land likely only cost a dollar an acre. Some you might find 50 cents an acre, depending on where it was, but a lot of what was sold back then was a dollar an acre. And so when he died, the land was put into tracks, okay? so that people could have independent waterfront properties, and that is when you had families come in, like the Freemans, the Wades, the Rossers, the Davies, McClellans, and McNeils. And many of them are people that you've seen on Gullah Geechee TV. The descendants of these same people, they still own their land there, and they still are clamming and fishing, and they have been trying to revitalize Seabreeze. However... The county, two years ago, wanted to do the same thing that happened southward in the Gullah Geechee Nation at American Beach, Florida, which is also a resort town, and they wanted to blight it. They wanted to come in, declare it blighted, and when these people declare these areas blighted, it now allows the government to come in and then take the land under the guise of making it more healthy and make it something that's better for the entire area or community, okay? Now, you are unlikely to get fair market price if they use what's called eminent domain, okay? If eminent domain is used in any of these cases, Usually people are displaced without receiving fair market value. Hence, we come in to talking about gentrification, where you move out who originally was there, and then you change the buildings. Whether you renovate them or you bulldoze them and build new ones, you change it so that initially it was supposed to be for the upper class to move in, and now it's more for the affluent the extraordinarily well-off or those who have extreme amounts of credit at their disposal to then move in. So hence, the poor people, the lower-income people, they end up being the ones moved out. And usually the traditionally historic black communities suffer and are moved out of these areas. This is what we call gentrification now that once was called urban renewal. They now use terms such as CRA, community revitalization, in order to come in and blight the area. And once they blight it, then they move you out. doesn't matter what history used to be there. And most, even if they keep a marker, a historic marker there, that would be all that they are concerned with. And so you have Seabreeze yet fighting to even try to continue to exist because of that at this point, as opposed to simply just getting their feet back standing 
and getting their legs, their sea legs really back to be able to finish the renovations of buildings that they have in the town and bring people back there again. So my prayers are yet with them. I still go up, and God willing, I get to see what's going on on the ground next month. Now, I go to the other end of the Gullah Geechee Nation because I already mentioned it. We fought also to help protect American Beach, Florida, which is at Fernandina. Many of you have heard of Fernandina Beach, Amelia Island. Well, Amelia Island is where Fernandina Beach and American Beach are located. American Beach was founded in 1935 by Abraham Lincoln Lewis, God bless the dead, who was also the great-grandfather to our Gullah Geechee anointed spirit and sacred ancestor, the beach lady, Marvin Betch, and also many of you call her Sister President Janetta Cole, who now is, I believe, at the Smithsonian's African Museum, African Art Museum. They, that is their great-grandfather. They are sisters. And so... Abraham Lincoln Lewis was the founder of the Afro-American Life Insurance Company, which happened to be the first insurance company, not first black one, the first insurance company in Florida. And he was Florida's first black millionaire as well. So you're talking about a family of influence and affluence that could have just as soon just kept their money and that was all. But instead he had vision. He had vision and wanted a place for other black people of all walks of life, of all levels of income, to be able to come and enjoy themselves and be side by side. And, again, they had boardwalks and businesses, Evans Rendezvous and numerous other things at American Beach. And many of us have fought for Nana the Sand Dune to be protected, and it is a historic property. There's a marker at, at American Beach. There are things honoring now the beach lady for her work. And throughout American Beach, the names of the other men of the Afro-American Life Insurance Company are the street names at American Beach. So once again, if you go to Gullah Geechee TV, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E dot TV, or you just go to YouTube and search and put in Queen Quet American Beach or Gullah Geechee American Beach, you'll find several episodes of Gullah Geechee TV where we were actually at American Beach, including with the Gullah Geechee Seminole Maroon Reunion. Now, American Beach, once again, was a black resort town that in its heyday was during segregation. So you all starting to see a pattern here. As the integration came in, the people got displaced. The businesses were no longer functioning. The economic power was removed from the community. So now whenever there's a way, there's a town that someone wants and they want you out, they come to the black folks and they try to see how much they can buy you for. Because if they can get a few of you to go along and go away from that community, then that community can die off. You come spend your money over here. Don't spend it over there. Come work with us and don't keep your brain trust in your community. These are the things that then ultimately will break the community apart, destroy it, and no one will continue to be there to live. Now, one story we're going to stay in Florida now because we just came back from Ocala, Florida, and I'm heading back to Gainesville, Florida next week. Let's stay in Florida for just a little while with another town that became famous because the people were actually burned out. Many of you are familiar with Black Wall Street, which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you became familiar with that, no doubt, through films and other things, bringing this up, and during Black History Month when they used to show documentaries about this kind of stuff, even on PBS. But then the film Rosewood and the Rosewood Massacre that took place during the first week of January 1923. Now, Rosewood is an area in Levy County, Florida, they say that at least six people of African descent and two whites were killed is what they reported. There were, the survivors made it clear. That's what the newspaper wanted to say. But there were at least 150 people massacred in Rosewood. And Rosewood was a self-sufficient black community. 
Now, the interesting thing about many of the townships that were in Florida is that they were along the railway. Rosewood is no exception. Rosewood was at what they call a whistle stop on the Seaboard Airline Railway. And so as the folks would settle, they always settled somewhere where you could possibly have some industry because at least if you had a whistle stop there, you had a store, people might likely buy things or other things there. Also made it easy for people to get into your town and out of your town. Okay? So here it is that under an accusation that an Anglo woman in another area had been beaten and possibly raped that story over, 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 all right, here came white men and lynched one black man of Rosewood. The Rosewood people then defended themselves against further attacks. So now these essentially what I call malicious forms, and that is when they came in upon the people at night, attacked them, and then burned down everything they possibly could, and then massacred as many people as they possibly could. The same thing happened, the Wilmington Massacre, which is what is being depicted in Wilmington on Fire, and as you've heard about us discuss here before. Now, the interesting thing about these railway stops and railroad locations of where we have black townships and then people coming in then to murder whole or in part the group of people to disenfranchise them, to run them out of town on the rail and so on is a repeated unfortunate story in black history. But it is one that if we do not deal with it, if we do not know it, we're destined to have it repeated, just that you ain't going to have no rail to run out on. So it's a whole nother story. So we need to under and overstand these dynamics, and when next time you see a train and a train track, you need to think about who literally laid these tracks of our story and then how much blood fell on those rails for them to do it. Now, when we come back up from Florida for just a little while here into South Carolina, we have a town in South Carolina and one in Florida that have the same name, Lincolnville. Now, the one in South Carolina was founded in 1867. That's the Reconstruction period. Remember now, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, we have ownership of land. Many people already had gotten land in 1862, but there were others that were still coming into the area or just starting to migrate away from areas where they were realizing they weren't going to be that successful there, so they were migrating to other places where they knew they could have more safety in establishing their own place. So in 1867, there were seven Gullah Geechee men that went with Bishop Richard Harvey Kane because they were in Charlestown, which is now Charleston, South Carolina, the peninsula. They felt they were constantly being mistreated there, there were still a lot of racial issues. This is the Jim Crow era we're entering into now. So they decided they're going to get out of there. They got on what was called the South Carolina Special. That was a local train that was part of the South Carolina Railroad Company. And they decided to take the South Carolina Special and ride out because that railroad company had land and sites for sale. They got off of the place they started calling Pump Pond. Because the train would stop there and get water and wood, they called it that. Then they also you would go there and get coal and water. So they called it Pump Pond. Well, when they settled there, they said, this is the spot. They bought 620 acres of land, 620 acres of land. Once they knew they had paid for that land in full, they applied for a charter to make themselves a township. So it took them about 22 years. As on December the 14th, 1889, that town became Lincolnville, South Carolina. They named it Lincolnville, not Pump Pond, because they were honoring Abraham Lincoln, who had signed the Emancipation Proclamation. So I've spoken in Lincolnville for Juneteenth. They still celebrate freedom 
in Lincolnville, South Carolina, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, but it's still a very, very small town. And so it's a place and a space, though, that our people sought to establish themselves for their freedom. And then in more recent times now, we have been having reports come out from the Lincolnville area of our own children shooting and killing each other because now drugs are being pushed into that area. This is not something that is just, oh, it's just happening. These things are intentionally placed in communities. The Native American reservations, the alcohol rate, the drug rate is high. These are things that were done even during the so-called founding of the United States of America. These tactics that were used then, why change it if it works for you? You have to be smart enough not to fall into the same trap that you saw somebody else go in or somebody told you that's a trap. Don't be so arrogant or egotistical to feel like it caught the last one, but it won't catch me. So here it is that now we have, again, we go back to genocidal measures, pumping into the community, destroying the school system, ensuring that you tell the people we're not going to educate you and won't allow you to speak in your own language. Do not talk about your culture here. So until now, come to school and crack a teeth like a dish and dick on your daddy. So we're going to educate you and say you're backward and you're ignorant if you do that, not that that is your culture and it should be sustained and that you are descendants of people that were visionaries, that were able to establish a town and establish some enfranchisement for themselves by having business at a major crossroads. But we are going to ensure that you don't even learn about these townships in the educational system, and we are going to then make sure that your community is emotionally distraught enough, financially disenfranchised enough, that depression will set in, and then we'll provide you with just what we need you to take, you to take now, to finish eliminating your group. We'll kill the fire of your group by making sure that you are drug-induced, and that's any drug, liquid, you smoke it, you put it in your vein, you snort it. I'm talking any drug. These things eventually kill your fire. So you do not have the energy, the wherewithal to have the vision, much less do the work to build a township. So now let's sail back and somebody come to run you out in night. What can you do? Clear your mind. How quick are your reflexes to move if you now need to defend yourself? If you cannot defend yourself, what happens? All right. So now I leave that to you to figure that out. Now, it's interesting that there were a number of Lincolnvilles established because, again, people wanted to honor Abraham Lincoln because they felt he had done a lot on their behalf. So we go back into Florida, and there's a Lincolnville Historic District, which is in the southwest peninsula of St. Augustine, Florida, which, of course, claims to be the, the nation's oldest city. Now, Fort Mose is somewhat across town from Lincolnville, and most of you know that Fort Mose was established by Gullah Geechis, Angolans, and others who actually escaped from enslavement and during the Stoner Rebellion is one of the times, in particular in 1739, and made it from Carolina to La Florida, and then were established there. There was also a place called Fort Negro that ended up getting bombed and destroyed. Fort Mose did not get destroyed in that manner, and Fort Mose was a place that our people now could establish themselves and have arms and land, but they had to convert to Catholicism in order to get it after escaping from enslavement. And again, go to the Gullah Wars. Look up the Gullah Wars on YouTube, and you can learn a lot more in that regard as well. But now, Lincolnville Historic District was established with, well, right now it's a historic district that has 548 historic buildings. When you drive to Lincolnville, I mean, there are markers that look like on every corner. The last time I went there to visit a few years back now to just see how they were doing, because one of our first conferences about the Gullah Geechee culture and the Underground Railroad going into Florida, we did in the 
area of Lincolnville. We actually had it at the Lincolnville Community Center. And it was an honor to go back there and have one of the elders walk up and apologize to me, actually, to say how I was the first person to ever come to them in St. Augustine and try to educate them that they were Gullah Geechee and they were connected to Gullah Geechee and that this new group of people who were trying to talk about that were just that, a new group, not the first group, but that I had taught them, but they were not ready. And that was what he said. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, young lady, because when you came over 16 years ago to teach us that, we weren't ready for what you were teaching us about our own history. And I found that painful, but I also appreciated it greatly because he didn't have to do it. But when he heard a Gullah Geechee meeting was going to be there, he expected me to be there. And so he made sure to go around that room and let other people know, y'all ain't coming here with nothing new. She was the first one to teach us this, but we just weren't ready to accept it, that we were Gullah Geechee and that this town had anything to do with Gullah Geechee's. Now, here it is that Lincolnville, when it was initially established after the Civil War, the U.S. Civil War in 1866 by Peter Sanks, Matilda Pappy, Harriet Weedman, Miles Hancock, Israel McKenzie, Aaron DuPont, and Tom Solander, they first leased the land for a year, for a dollar a year. All right? Then... After a while, they were able to lay out their town. So in 1878, there's when they laid it out and named it Lincolnville, and which was about five acres. There originally was an orange grove, which had been owned by Abraham Lincoln's private secretary, John Hay. That's how come they used the name Lincolnville in this case. But they called their settlement initially their Africa, or Little Africa. Now, today, because of gentrification, because of the encroachment of all the snowbirds and the retirees and everybody who's going into Florida, Lincolnville is fighting to hold its own, to still be there. And there's no one that when you come into St. Augustine pushes you to tell you to go over to the Lincolnville Historic District or to learn about Lincolnville. And even now, when you stop at the Florida Business Center like I did on our way down just the other day, just a, two, three days ago, and asked for a black heritage guide, they'll tell you we don't have any more. And they don't intend it, apparently, to print anymore. So the the constant encroachment upon our townships then displaces the people who live there who know the story. And once the people are gone, there's no one to still tell the story. And so a very key place like that for me was to learn about sticks. Many of you who are from West Palm Beach, you quite familiar with sticks. I am just learning about sticks now. But sticks is associated with flag law. Back to the trains, all through Florida, people see this flag law name all over places and all over buildings. And sticks, which was established was actually the workers who was working for Flagler to build up what became this massive hotel in West Palm Beach. And so the community of Sticks, there are numerous stories that this place, after Flagler had the people build his hotel, he knew that his affluent guests that would be coming to stay there in this Palm Beach area, on this island, would not want to pass what they considered the shanty huts coming in to the hotel. So he told them if they worked hard, and you work hard all year, and he was paying them above what others would normally pay for the menial work and the construction work, that at the end of it all, I'm going to have a big affair for you. So he set up a fair over on the opposite side of the bridge and made sure there was transportation for everyone to go to it. Now, the story goes that the people were burned out while they were at the fair, and that was the end of it. Now, there's another part to the story that says that actually Flagler wasn't the owner of the particular land where the shanty huts were. Another man owned those, and that he did give them 30-day notices to dismantle everything there, and that the reason 
was because the conditions were unsanitary because there were no sewage systems or anything of that nature. And so, therefore, they had been given notice and they were told that they needed to move within 30 days. And after after they moved, they burned it down. Well, it's kind of interesting that most of the people remember that the day of the fair, they saw smoke and there was a fire. So I believe that there's truth in both of these stories, that there were probably two different movements of getting the people out and off from where Flagler built, and then many of the people then ended up in another area just across the bridge, which uh, people call, what is it called, Pleasant? It's an area called Pleasant where you also have that as a black area down near West Palm Beach, but now Pleasant City. So with Pleasant City, Pleasant City became occupied by the people of African descent who were in sticks, who were the first ones that were over at West Palm Beach. And so there's a lot of information to be found when you start to go look for it. But now if people are setting fires to where you live, they are bombing where you live, they are threatening your life, they are taking away your livelihood, they are then telling you, well, you go do this to that other one over there and then I'll pay you, or you can stay if you go kill that one over there, or make sure that you do everything to block that one over there, and that one over there always looks like you. So here it is that that is an act of genocide. Those are all acts and components and engagement exercises. You know, have the rules of engagement. Those are acts of engagement in the process of genocide. These are things that people have done repeatedly to bring psychological damage and disenfranchisement to black townships. We can reverse that. Where we know there are black businesses, where we know there are family compounds, where we know whether they are in incorporated areas or unincorporated areas, that there are Gullah Geechee and black or people of African descent establishments, we can support them. If you support them with a dollar a week and you get all your friends and family to support them with a dollar or two a week, it's likely they'll stay open they will then be able to maintain the ownership of houses, keep community centers afloat, hire people to work in these places and within their businesses, produce items that can then be sold to others, and provide services at a level of quality that will make you proud and make them be able to sustain themselves and re-enfranchise the community. So if we do not want to, participate in crimes that now seek to destroy whole or in part a national, ethnic, or racial group. If we are talking about keeping the Gullah Geechee group alive, the Gullah Geechee people alive, the citizens of the Gullah Geechee nation alive, we cannot kill each other by even character assassination nor physical harm. We cannot cause serious bodily and mental harm to members of our group, and we should not allow others to come in and do it. But we got to have our right mind to know when it's happening. We had, cannot deliberately allow the continued destruction meant to come in our communities to physically destroy our land nor us mentally and physically from being able to maintain our health and our healing practices and our traditions from the land. And we cannot allow our children to continue to be transferred out of our hands into the hands of others and educated by others. If we do so, we are parties to the crime. We are then not part of the solution, but part of the problem. And so I pray that this Black Hour Story Month, you will be part of a solution, that you will support us continuing to keep Gullah Geechee land and Gullah Geechee legacy alive, and that you will stand with the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition and leaders of the Gullah Geechee Nation against the genocide of Gullah Geechees and the disruption and removal of our people from our land. So if you want to become a member of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, you can always go to Gullah Geechee.net. 
And again, you can always email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. We are also Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition on Facebook, and you have the Gullah Geechee Nation fan page on Facebook, and you can always go to www.gullahgeecheenation.com as well. And keep up with our blog, keep up with our activities, and most of all, learn about who we be down here in this year land of the Gullah Geechee. Because, see, we have to keep, we live, and we have to keep, we free. So we're so glad it is evening that Hunter Chillin taught him not robbery for joining me for this year broadcast for this year Black We Story Month 2014. So glad that Hunter Chillin that did with me. And if Hunter Chillin done know who this year be, this year the Queen Quet head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter Chillin tune in one more again to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Thank you, thank you for all my guests who have been in the chat room tonight. And read us for all Hunter Chillin. Who the Yeti this year, Applewood, upon your podcast and things like that in the iPod. Have a good evening. God bless you. Stay strong. Keep on fighting for who we be. We be Gullah Geechee, anointed people. <laughs>